Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. All right. Hello and welcome to my conversations with my friend Jen Loudon. And she's been on the show many times, and we're doing these co-hosting conversations. And um, I'm just excited to have her here. Today, we were talking before the show and decided, hey, we need to hit the button (laughs) because this is great stuff for you guys, right? This is the, you know, one of the things that I really want to be on for my show is being real. And I know that that's what the listeners really like. And so we were kind of checking in before we started we're going to do the the show today. And um, she asked me how I was doing. I said, well, I'm a hot mess. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and, you know, dealing with anxiety and vulnerability and stuff. And I wrote a bit about it in my newsletter today. Um, and so, and one of the things that we're going to be talking about anyways was compassionate grit and daily rituals and how do you show up for yourself. So with that being said, Jen, thank you for being here today. I love being a hot mess with you. I'm a jittery. <laughs> mess. So no, mess is too strong of a word. You know, what I find is this idea of compassionate grit that we'll talk about in a moment and my daily rituals, they do, and other practices, help me so much to come out of that jittery mess place that I can go to. And I really want to acknowledge that for myself because I think in the past that wasn't true or I wasn't willing to own it. Somehow I thought I I had to be a jittery mess. Oh, say more about that. Well, I think just to reveal too much about myself, (laughs) (laughs) that uh, I have a tendency to think the worst of myself. And I think a lot of it is because I've struggled with learning disabilities that were undiagnosed for most of my life. They're still not really very well diagnosed. It's probably some ADHD and some dyslexia, although I don't have trouble uh, reading. I do have a tremendous amount of trouble spelling organizing my thoughts, staying on task. And I have a lot of shame around it. And um, learning to let go of that shame has been a huge part of my work and learning to find the tools that work for me. Also, I think because I had success early on with my first book and we then had to work for success later on, as many of us do, sometimes it's flipped, some, you know, whatever, but working for success is usually part of what we all have to do. But I got a story that working for success was somehow like something that had gone wrong, that I wasn't good enough anymore. And so Mm. that also is a story that I've let go of. And a lot of this is where the compassionate grit comes in. And so all of that kind of tied into a feeling of (sighs) victimhood Mm -hmm. and more identified with the jittery mess and the drama of it than the story, the generative narrative of watch me go. Oh, look, I fell on my face. (laughs) Watch me go. Oh, well, that was just a big stumble. Oh, look, I'm standing upright. Oh, look, I just fell. Oh, look, watch me go. (laughs) You know, it's, it's so interesting. So, you know, this week I'm a hot mess and uh, to give the listeners the backstory, I'm going to be giving a talk this weekend. And, um, you know, and that's what's created all this anxiety. There's because, but it's the stories, right? That's the circumstance. And then there are these stories that I have about this talk and, you know, my own worthiness. And am I going to be able to talk for 50 minutes, which is kind of funny because I (laughs) (laughs) do it every week, (laughs) you know, and I'm able to connect and stuff. But, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to know what to say. And um, to the point where, you know, and I've had, up and down. And yesterday I was like, I just need to quit. I need to quit all of this. I need to just stop. (laughs) I I pulled out my open the cheese store story. (laughs) I was, you know, I'm done. I don't want to do this. And then one of the things that I did was I, and I went for a walk because I thought, okay, this will help me. And I had my little speech in my hand and, and I was trying to read it. And I was like, and you know, of course the critic was coming in saying this sucks and all kinds of stuff. And then, then I was going to quit. Then I came home and I got on the phone and I called up a friend of mine who's also a speaker 
and and then she helped me and you know got me grounded and stuff and i think that reaching out for support is something that i would not do 10 years ago it's like no i have to do this alone if i i need to be able to do this alone and this week i've just various times have like reached out just to help separate me from my stories that i have in my head beautiful it is so true we need habits that separate us from our stories. And we need a handful of them in our quiver of our arrows of life. <laughs> if Because story is how our brain works. Our brain is always making up a narrative, literally on a level so we can't take in the amount of information that's coming in. We're always leaving stuff out, we're editing it, we're rearranging the way things happen. And that's why your memory is so different than say your sister's memory, your brother's memory, your mother's memory of the same event, your best friends. And we can't do it ourselves. So having an outside person that we go to or a handful of outside people is huge. But having other ways that we can wake up to our story, um, I think that's why meditation is so important, having some kind of meditation that helps you just watch the story without being caught in it. Mm -hmm. So you become, a, you become aware that there is a story and that you can easily become re-aware in the moment. So I'll give you a stupid example from my life yesterday. We live on an island and there's one highway and the highway is the main spine of the island. And there's usually no traffic except when the rush hour ferries get off in the afternoon. Well, my yoga studio is up the highway two stops. So you know if it's later in the afternoon, you have to go the back way. Mm -hmm. But it was 4 o'clock for a 4 o'clock class. It was 3.45. So I'm like, okay, no, I'm going to go the regular highway because it's faster. So I get to the stop sign. I'm just looking straight ahead and it's turning yellow. I'm like, I'm going to be a good safe driver and stop and not go through the yellow light. And I stop and I'm feeling all proud of myself. And then I look to the right. Oh no, very traffic. <laughs> and I sat there for a good probably 60 seconds, just so mad at myself that I hadn't run the light. I'm going to be late for yoga. And then of course, I was aware of my story and how hysterical it was to be getting upset well, I'm on my way to yoga class. <laughs> and so I was able to stop and pull out of it and just laugh at myself and calm my nervous system right back down and get into the flow of traffic and be on time for yoga after all. Well, and what, and you, she, what you did she, there was you became your own support, right? Yes. Instead of judging yourself, you became the compassionate person like, okay, I'm just going to laugh at myself. There's humor in this and move on. And I was aware though. That's where the, the point that I'm going to, the bigger point, thank you for bringing me back there, is we need ways to be aware that we're in story. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we have to have someone else help us get aware and pull us out when we're really hooked, like we're mad at our partner or we're scared to death about our business or we're feeling loathsome about the weight we've gained over the holidays. But we also need to develop those skills to do it ourselves. It is imperative. It's one of the most powerful inner tools that I have to be aware I'm in a story and then to be compassionate with myself, exactly as you said, to be compassionate with myself. And, and so how do you go about being aware of your story? Well, it's years and years of practicing um, yoga and meditation. And with a good yoga and meditation practice, you are learning to be aware of your thoughts and that, and that you are not your thoughts. Not in a concentrated, my thoughts are bad, but just, oh, look, it's like a cloud going across the sky. There's the thought I should have done that already today. Oh, there's the thought I should have been nicer to my um, bonus son. Oh, there's the thought that I should get up off the meditation cushion right now and go do that work. <laughs> oh, okay, there they go. And here I am breathing and aware of my breath or aware of my body or aware of the sounds around me. Yeah, that has been incredibly important to me. But also from a coaching perspective, learning the ontological coaching background that I have, that's been really important, which is all about how we deconstruct the narrative and construct a more positive narrative. That's true. Yeah, isn't it? Yes. Right, Same that's path. true. Yeah. yeah, because when uh, this morning I was having coffee with my girlfriend and and uh, she goes, well, what's the worst thing that can happen at your talk? You know, and once I did that, I started pulling out of my story. I'm like, well, everybody could walk out. And she goes, okay, everybody could walk out. And, <laughs> right? And, and it was like, and, and she goes, and you would say that if people walked out, that you weren't the right fit. Like they weren't here to hear your message. And that's okay. It's not about you. It's about where, where they are in their life, right? And she said, that's what you would say if, it were, if you were to say it to me. 
And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. You know, and it was so interesting because I was like in this emotional place. But when all of a sudden we got into like, okay, what's the worst case scenario? You know, what's really probably going to happen? You know, maybe a few people will leave. Okay, I'll be okay with that. And um, so I think, I don't know, do you, I dress rehearse for tragedy all the time. Mm-hmm. My brain just goes straight there. I don't know if you do that. Um, and do you do that? No, I don't. I don't. I'm not. My husband does. He is a catastrophizer. Mm-hmm. I'm a minimizer. I minimize how much things are going to take, how long it's going to take, how hard it's going to be. I've gotten so much better over the years and he's gotten better about catastrophizing. But those are our stress places that we go to. I'll be like, oh, it's no big deal. We're moving to Colorado. Oh, we'll do it. And he'll be like (laughs) obsessively checking Craigslist. (laughs) And then although I did a little catastrophizing, there was an article about Google is may move to Boulder and housing might get more even tight. And that's where we're heading to next this year to move to for his work and I was like oh my god what if we can't find a place to live (laughs) so I do it sometimes (laughs) Mm -hmm. I want to say something though I did I have um flopped as a speaker oh lovely (laughs) yeah so and it wasn't just that I gave them content that wasn't for them a couple times I didn't do a good job Uh uh-huh and I recovered so I want to say that too. We screw up sometimes and that's okay because I didn't used to believe that. I used to believe because I had failed as a speaker a couple of times, once in front of a really big audience, I should never do it again. And that part of me just doesn't believe that anymore. Well, and this may, hopefully this doesn't get taken the wrong way, but for me to go, wow, Jen Loudon flopped, right? That like kind of gives me permission. It's that common humanity piece, right? Like, yeah. okay, if she can do that and be okay, I'll, I'll be okay, right? Yes, you will be okay. And I think the reasons I flopped were egotistical in that I was like, well, this is, I, I'm speak. I'm thinking specifically a couple years ago, a friend on the island is a very successful romance writer. Like she's regularly on the New York Times. And she very sweetly said, hey, I, I told the Romance Writers Association of America to have you come and speak at their conference. And I'm like, that is so sweet. So I designed a program that for me was what I needed as an, a writer. They didn't want that. They wanted to learn ways to be on social media and maximize their time and really respond in some magical way to needing to turn out anywhere from two to four books a year. And I didn't have those answers. Mm -hmm. So it was not really listening to what they needed and saying, you know what, I'd love to come speak, but I can't really speak about that because I don't think it's humanly possible. And I certainly cannot write a book a year, let alone two or three. Um, so when I look back at it, a lot of times it was my desire to please or to be somebody quote, quote marks in the air that got me into those situations. Interesting. Good. Yeah. Good to know. So when, what were the things that when you spoke and you felt like you were at your best? Oh, you know, my best talk is hopefully going to become this book I'm working on. And it was last summer not this last summer, the summer before, before I got married, so a year and a half ago, there's an event company in our area called Urban Campfires. Mm-hmm. And it was a talk about the times that I've burned down something in my life or let something go or recovered from somebody burning something down. And what I learned, what was the moon that came out of it. That's my favorite talk I've ever given. And I think it was because it was so honest And for me personally, what I'm always working on is how can I share what's honest and true for me? And when I have to put myself into another cookie cutter of what somebody wants me to be, sometimes it's really hard and I get tripped up. I'm still working on that. Does that, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so how I would describe that in my words would be talking from your heart. Yeah. Speaking from my heart, but it was also a match for what the event was. Mm Mm-hmm. And sometimes I've been hired to speak at events and I wasn't a match and I said yes anyway. And that's what I'm trying to learn not to do ever again. Mm -hmm. So that there's an alignment there. Exactly. And that's that whole thing of, oh, oh, but I need to be everything to everybody and I need the money and all that kind of stuff. And I'm always coaching clients on not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, we're humans. I mean, we just, we have to practice it, right? And then we screw up and we circle back and we practice it some more. But we also have these patterns in our life. And this is one of my deep patterns, uh, wanting to, not even wanting to please, because that's not quite it, but but wanting to to be somebody, to be special, to be recognized. And then, and it's so gross to say, I mean, it makes my stomach flip flop a little bit. But as I've learned to take care of that part of me and talk to her and, and actually say, I see you, you matter to me, instead of needing it from outside. And I think it's because I didn't get it from my mom. I don't think I got that attachment stuff that we now know is so important. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I see you, you matter to me. Is that something you say a lot to yourself? Sometimes, sometimes weeks go by and it's not an issue, but there'll be times when I'll notice that something will happen to me or an idea will occur to me that's really important. And I'll immediately want to run tell Bob or I immediately want to run and tell my girlfriend. And that's when I'll go, oh, wait, I think we're getting into that place of needing outside reflection to matter. Mm -hmm. So let's stop here and just be with it ourselves, see it ourselves, take it in ourselves. We are, and by we, I mean, I make myself sound like Sybil, but we all have that sense of lots of pieces inside of us, right? Mm -hmm. Different voices and experiences mm -hmm. and selves. I, I think I have a pretty good ego and strong central personality, but I also have like these other little parts of me. And I think wholeness for me and making room for them and seeing them and comforting them, but not letting them run the bus, not running them take let not letting them take the show on the road the way they want but saying no no no, i know you're really scared and you really don't think this is a good idea giving this speech and i think we should just quit <laughs> you know what i think i can make it okay for you let's talk about that what would make it okay for you for me to give this speech and not only give this speech but knock it out of the park oh, the anxiety goes back <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's the other thing. I was just saying to a client this morning, so what when I'm scared? And I don't mean that in a mean way, but it used to be, I'm scared. Oh, no. And now it's like, oh, I'm scared. How how interesting. What do I need right now to keep going? Do I need to take a break? Do I need to take a nap? Do I need to take a day off? Do I need, am I trying to do too much? Maybe I've got too many irons in the fire. Maybe I'm getting uh, rushed and even a little inflated, which some of us do when we get success, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember a friend many, many years ago, he, we went to film school together at USC and he went on to move down to Florida and work for Walt Disney. And when they were really building out those studios and he got very, you know, was, he was, I think, producing a show and he was some kids show and he was just loving it, but he was also getting kind of full of himself. And one day he got to the studio set and he didn't have his ID and the guard would not let him on the set. And he started yelling at the guy and saying, do you know who I am? And then back to story, he heard himself mm -hmm. and he heard what a just inflated poop he was being. And, he, and it just broke him open and the inflation and the, and the rushing and the, oh my God, look who I am just went away. And he actually moved into a much deeper and more wonderful time in his life and his relationships from that. Oh, the good things that can come from breaking open. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, it's, but, but we have to go through this, this period that you're in right now. And I wrote this on Facebook yesterday. You know, we're going live with a new website today, which will be after the fact when you're listening to this, everybody. And yesterday I wrote, you know, I just want it to be tomorrow. I have mm -hmm. waited and worked on this for months. But I stopped myself. And I'm like, no, I don't want to wish my life away. And I don't want to wish away these passages of intensity because that's where we stay. If we, see, if we stay awake, that's where we grow and change the most. I, I so agree with you and that just being in it right now, like there's a part of me that can't wait till Monday, but right. then, you know, and it's like when I'm not in this like hot mess, right, I'm just going to own it. This is just where I am. I mean, I'm in a good space right now, but where I've been going through through the week, I'm always a, one to say, oh, you know, it's good. These are opportunities and this is how we grow and we, we don't want to stagnate, right? But man, going through growth, it takes courage. You know, and, and it's, it's really about me coming up against myself, right? And, 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 and so in owning that and just, and when you talk about like, you know, it can be great and I'm like, oh, right. I, I just have to focus on like the process. If I focus on that outcome of what it will be or what it will mean in that, that whole ego sense, it shuts me down. 
But when I can focus on the process and why I'm doing it and, you know, why this talk is going to be is so important to me and, and how it's kind of the merging of like everything in my life, um, then, and, and me just showing up and, and speaking from my heart, I think, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that it will touch some lives. I mean, and that's really what I have to do every week when I come on the show, because I get nervous too, not to the degree of the the talk, because every week I have a show or two shows. So, you know, and after 400 and some shows, you get, I get a bit used to the anxiety and I know, okay, we'll move through it and I'll show up and I'll try to do my best. And there may be some mistakes that I make, but that's okay. What can I learn from it? Versus the talk where I don't practice it as often. I think there's a little bit more anxiety. That is that is exactly it. Oh, do you hear an echo? No. Do you? Okay. I can hear an echo. I love to hear myself. <laughs> I'm kidding. But what you said is just brilliant. But you've gotten comfortable with the anxiety in one realm. And then we get comfortable if we do things enough in another realm. But if we're not doing speaking, for example, what we're talking about today enough, we can transfer that knowing of I will be okay and what do I want to focus on? Everything you just said, not outcome, but showing up. Mm-hmm. You know, I wrote that in a blog post recently. I said, you know, I used to, um, I'm trying to find my own words so I can quote myself. And then you're going to send it to me so I can put it in the show notes. Okay. Um, <laughs> I put my faith not in outcome, but in my actions. Because that used to trip me up because I had success early on. I somehow got the action taking messed up with the outcome because the first time I took, not the first time, because I, you know, I had already been writing and doing things that hadn't gone well, but my first book did really well. And so it's like, oh, that's how all my actions should go. And when they didn't, then I started to think, oh, I'm bad. Oh, I shouldn't do this. You know, all these different stories that I would start to create. But if we keep focusing on our actions and then taking in what we can learn and what we can change without giving other people the power to determine our lives, that's part of compassionate grit. Gosh, that's so important that the power, not giving people the power to change our lives, right? Like how do we show up? And in that, that is, isn't that part of like, I want to say it's the key or it's an essential key, but allowing ourselves to show up and not let it define us, right? It's like what you said earlier about we are not our thoughts and we are also not defined by the results, are we? No, no, of course not. We're not defined by any of it. I don't have a particular uh, religious belief, but I do have a deep experience of my basic goodness and other beings' basic goodness. And I, when I touch that, that's, what matters. And when I operate from that place, which isn't all the time, obviously, sometimes I have some very mean or base (laughs) desires that are motivating me. But most of the time I can rest there and I can take action from there. And that's all that matters. But I can take in, for example, giving that talk at the Romance Writers of America Association going, wow, that didn't go well. Mm -hmm. A lot of the people left at the break. Wow, that was really painful. What can I learn from that? Oh, you know what? Too painful. Can't learn anything yet. Let's put it on the back burner. And next time we have a speaking thing, let's think about it. And let's think about it next time we do something and it goes well. And what can I learn from this versus, oh, this tells me that I'm bad or wrong or I should never do this or I should completely rewrite my world because they want that. Mm-hmm. To get, is, does that? Oh, it makes, it, it makes me think about Carol Dweck who's been on yeah. this show, right? It's a fixed mindset. It's yes. good or bad, black and white, versus a growth mindset of, okay, what can we learn from this? Yes. You know, wh- what can I improve? And instead of it being us defined, which would be a fixed mindset, it's the growth mindset and realizing it's a process. Yes, that distinction of fixed mindset and growth, growth mindset of hers has been one of the most powerful ideas I've ever encountered. It's so simple, mm-hmm. but it's so profound. And I definitely had the fixed mindset. I remember when I got it. I got it in seventh grade. I'd always been really smart and good at everything. And I started to struggle in math, but I wasn't getting the help I needed. Um, and so I realized that the um, book that they'd given me to work out of, the advanced book, had the answers in the back. And I started to cheat. And then I started to believe that I couldn't do it. And what was probably really happening was my learning disability, which is about spatial and uh, pattern thinking in particular, was coming 
was getting was reaching its limit was getting pushed up against and nobody was there of course in in the 70s to figure that out um but it became i'm stupid it became a story for the next 30 years i'm stupid and i better hide how stupid i am so how did you move out of that you know, honestly, so many things we've been talking about today, so many things like meditation and yoga and ontological coaching, but Carol Dweck's book really helped. Mm -hmm. When we have those distinctions from wherever they come from and we can really take them in and apply them, it's something that you know in the background, but then someone puts it into language. I think that's what I do a lot with, with my work. I put something in the language that people already knew and then they're like, oh, I knew that. Now I understand it. I just needed someone to language it and kind of bring it to the surface. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, no, when I remember uh, when I came up, you know, upon her and she was the guest on my show and I'm like, okay, Carol, you know, because I had so much guilt. I was like, wow, I've lived a lot of my life in fixed mindset. I was told I had to be perfect and I was always worried I was a fraud. And, I, you know, I was one of those in California. We have this program called GATE. It's the gifted and talented. And yes. I, was, I was one of those kids, but I never thought that I really belonged in there. Like somehow I pulled the wool over their eyes. <laughs> Yeah. And I have clients that do the same thing, right? They're vets and they're, oh, well, I shouldn't be a vet. I was a fraud. I'm like, you went to the best vet school in the world and you were somehow a fraud, yeah. <laughs> right? They they didn't catch it at admissions. They didn't catch it at graduation. They didn't catch it in your internship. They didn't catch it when you became a, a veterinarian doctor. So, but I mean, it was that same thing. And when she, in the, 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 the permission that she gave me was that we're never all fixed or all growth. It's like a continuum. And there's going to be some parts of our life we may be more growth mindset. So I think for me, like that swimming world, you know, that was that land of the growth mindset. And that's probably one of the reasons why I love that space so much. Right. And so and I've really held on to that. Um, and then in other areas. And so when I noticed, so I've really worked on now having that language and the understanding of that very simple context. But being able to go, oh, I'm being in this fixed mindset right now and noticing how I feel when I'm there. The world is dark versus mm -hmm. when I go in the growth mindset and I can say, okay, I'm not doing as well as I would like. What can I learn from this? How can I move through it? And it's really given me permission to be able to own it, to circle back, right, mm -hmm. and to redirect it. Um, whether, I mean, in so many areas of my life, whether it's parenting, being on the show, working with clients, you know, running the, the aqua monsters, whatever it is that I do, managing staff, you know, mentoring leaders, whatever it is that I'm doing, that opportunity of having that growth mindset. And really that those, I feel like have become really big, um, pillars of my foundation. Yeah, me too. Me too. That's beautifully said. So I want to flip on you and say, so what's the growth mindset for the speech? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, the growth mindset. So would it be, I think it's for me, and I don't know if this is going to answer your question, so you can let me know. I think it's for me, it's about really um, stepping into my vulnerability, and it's about me showing up and being brave. Um, and uh, many years ago, I was telling the story this morning to my friend, when I was in college, my senior year, I went back to the national championships for college. And I was my junior, year, I'd won the race, I was a two, I won the tuner butterfly. And my senior, year, I went back and, you know, I felt all this pressure, like I had to win again, because, you know, I had won the year before. And if I didn't win again, then I would have been a fraud. It's this whole weird cycle that I have. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and I was, you know, very panicked and, and I was very tight and I was, I was swimming pretty well throughout the week, but you know, wasn't blowing anything, any socks off. Right. And before I swam in the finals, so that would be the top eight that night at the final championships for the tuner fly. Um, the coach Casey from the air force came up over, over, over to me and he said, you know, you've had a, you've had an amazing career. Just go and have fun. And I was so astonished. Jen, I was like, how does he know who I am? <laughs> Right. And, and, and I mean, that's how so little confidence. And I remember standing behind the blocks and for finals and just like in tears going, I just want this to be over. Like I really wanted to quit and just not have to be there. But that was against my nature. Right. I always follow through. So I got up on the blocks, I raced, but I did kind of quit on myself. And it's so ironic because I quit, but I got third, you know, and like my <laughs> girlfriend today goes, the fact that you're at nationals is a big deal to begin with, right? First, third, 50th, it doesn't really matter. 
And, um, and I think like yesterday I wanted to quit, like that same feeling came back. And so to go back to answering your question is that for me, I think the growth mindset is that I don't want that same feeling of, I'm just going to go in and I'm going to phone it in. Like I want to go in and deliver the best that I can. Right. And it may be good. It may be a flaw, but just, but really put my, as Carol Dweck would say, my best effort and then afterwards reflect on it of what, you know, what did I feel that went well? What are things I can learn from to help people in the future? Yeah, beautiful. I hear a couple of things for me. And one is that when I'm getting into that really uncomfortable place that we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. if I can't comfort myself to stay with the discomfort, to stay there, then I want to give up on myself. I just want to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And so then I don't, I can't put in my best effort. I can't put in my best prep because I'm too uncomfortable. I'm too in hyper arousal. And then I just want to get away, get out of it, run away. So, so that to me is like in between now and when you give the talk is the place that you're mediating and you're softening and you're breathing into and you're taking care of your body and your nervous system so it can calm down enough to allow you to access those parts of your brain and your creativity that will help you prepare and feel confident. Then the second thing that came up for me is one of my uh, friend, Michael Bungay-Stainer at Box of Crayons dot, I think it's dot biz. He does a this, not that chart. So this is on one side and not that is on the other. And he has one that he carries with him whenever he speaks. It's laminated. And it's like, um, I can't think of his exact words, but one of the things he's not is sympathetic. I can't say the word. He's not. um, Oh, gosh, I wish I had it in front of me. Okay. Anyway, this, not that is the basic idea. So this is how I want to show up and not that way. And he keeps it in front of him on the podium when he's teaching and training and speaking. So I wonder for what your this, not that's would be. Um, This is how I want to show up. This is not. um... And you don't have to answer me if you don't want to. No, no. This this is. This is good. I've I've moved on from not liking the tables. The mic turned on me. <laughs> <laughs> Years ago, Simon Sinek did that, and I was like, and it was live radio, and I was like, <gasps> but I've had it happen enough. I've had more practice, um, and if I don't do it now, I probably won't do it. Okay, this is how I want to show up. I really want to show up open hearted. Like I really want to show up because I know when I do that, when I'm willing to be vulnerable, that's when I'm at my best. Um, so I don't know if this is what I don't even know if I'm answering your questions correctly. Um, this is not how this is how I don't want to show up or this is so, not. So there's a this and then there's an opposite of that that you might go to if you're stressed or afraid. Um, I don't want to show up luxury. Okay. So <laughs> vulnerable, not luxury. Yep. Um, and uh, just fact driven. Say that again. Fact driven, right? Here are the facts. Okay, These are fact. the things that you, this is the how to, right? I want to okay. tell stories. Like, okay. um, I know we're hardwired for connection for story or we're hardwired for story, right? And I know that I hold on to stories. I mean, I'm a story collector. That's what I do. So, telling stories, that's one of the things that I want to do just to help them uh, understand so that they can apply this stuff for their own lives. Beautiful. Is there another one? Um, Vulnerable, uh, not lecture. Stories, not facts. Um, and then I want to be like energetic, but not fast where I'm just like, right, where I'm talking too fast. Right. I, I, you know, I have no idea what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> where I take 50 minutes and I get it all done in 10 and then I'm like, exactly. and people are like, what just Questions? happened? <laughs> Um, Hey, I want to go back for a second just to be coachy and the vulnerable not lecturing. So what are you being when you're lecturing? Are you being defensive? Are you being pompous? I I think there's a bit of like, it's, I'm going to pull myself up here and I'm going to have you down there. Like I know stage on the stage. Mm -hmm. And, and like, I have this really big fundamental belief that we are all connected and that, you know, we're humans. Um, I'm, I don't like that stacking of people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the hierarchy of people. So right there, I'm not, I'm coming out of myself, right? I'm coming out of my values. And so like, I do believe everybody matters. I mean, and I've said this before, and this can kind of sound a bit pompous is that everybody matters. Everybody's stories matter. What's going to resonate with me are going to be the stories, you know, that 
are I'm going through versus mm-hmm. maybe some, I may not be your story matters, but maybe it fits better with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think with the lecture appointment and part of it was, I was a college professor, right? <laughs> so it was like, well, I know more than you and therefore you need to listen to me. Yeah. And, and that I don't really like communication like that. So no, and that style of communication is dying. Um, I think our American culture and and some other cultures are changing to be much more of a a circle. And sometimes somebody's at the head of the circle saying, hey, this is what I know. Let me share this and facilitate this for you. But other times you're going to be at the head of the circle. And sometimes there's not going to be anybody. We're just going to all be here together. Mm -hmm. And very much that hierarchical method of teaching, well, I think it will remain in the lower um, grades but in terms of being with adults, it's definitely on the way out. And I do a program called Teach Now, and we, we talk about that a lot. And have both how to own your authority, which is, is, is important. Like, here, I've got something to say, and I'm here, and I'm fully owning it. But I don't have to be defended or pompous about it. Or, and it, doesn't, it might not work for you, and that's totally cool. Yeah. So I think yeah. that I think that parts you know, I want, how I want to show up is I want to have connection. I mean, that's, connection. I think, a really big for everything, for whether it's with my show, with my clients, right, with my uh, team, how I like to show up in the world is really about connection. I think it's about love. <laughs> that, that word scares me. <laughs> I know, it's so airy-fairy. It's so intimate. Love, love is all around us. <laughs> but I do agree with you. It's just that word scares me. So I, I talk about these other words. Yeah, that's fine. Language is a beautiful thing. <laughs> I'm easing my way into that. <laughs> yeah, I um, I just, it's so to me where this compassionate grit theme is about is what we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. This place of I don't give up on myself because it didn't go well. I don't give up on myself because I'm uncomfortable and scared. I don't, but I don't just grit down. It's not just grit by itself because what I say is grit without compassion is just grind. Mm -hmm. You could grind yourself into a nub getting ready for this talk. I could have ground myself into a nub getting ready for the launch of the new website and new offers that we have. But I didn't because I can have compassion. I can laugh at myself. All the tools we've been talking about in our conversations together these last weeks And I can take breaks and I can be a human who says, you know what, my back hurts, I cannot, and my wrists hurt, and I cannot sit here any longer, even though it's not done. That's compassion too. Yeah, I love that. I love the compassionate grit. Me too. (laughs) I do. Because I've always had like compassion and I've always had grit, but I do agree with you about the grind aspect of it, Mm -hmm. right? And I can really turn things into a grind. Um, and having the compassionate grit to, and, and for me, it's about how do I move through? You know, how do I ke- continue on and not give up on myself? Because that's what I wanted to do yesterday, right? I was like, I just want to quit everything and just go hide because I don't like these feelings that I'm feeling. Right. So when we can, <laughs> when we can tease out from our identification with what we're feeling, and then, then we are aware of the story and the story doesn't own or define us. And then we can begin to nudge it in a different direction. Oh, yeah, I am scared. But even if I fail, that doesn't define me. And my story that I might fail, I don't have to be identified with it. Lots of shades of of different things are going to happen in that room for different people. And none of that is really something I can control. What can I influence? Hmm, I can influence connecting. Oh, I want to be about connection. Well, how would I be about connection? Oh, I better connect with myself. Let's go for a walk. It always starts right there with that ourselves. Doesn't it? It does. But we want to get out of that place. We want a shortcut. We want a magic bullet. We want someone to tell us what to do. We want to get away from it because connecting with ourselves means feeling the discomfort and the fear and without identifying with it. Yeah. And, you know, I want, I would go to, and this is where I'm better about it now, but in the past I would go to other people to say, oh no, you're going to be great, right? And yeah. that's not what I went to this 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 time when I was reaching out for support. This time, it was really just, well, what am I thinking, right? What are the things that are getting in my way? Because when I used to hustle for my worthiness or for other people's approval, and I can still do it, but when I really, that was my main way of doing things, mm-hmm. they would tell it to me, but it, it was like quicksand. It went away mm-hmm. really quickly. Of course, of course, yeah. Or water in the desert. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
it's very different to go to um, mentors and friends and mastermind groups to brainstorm, have um, blind spots reflected, than to go for answers or confirmation. And my brain trust, the, the group that I've been part of, we've been together for nine years, they are so good at spotting when I'm coming to them like a slavering dog for a bone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they are so good at saying, I, I think you want us to fix you, and we're not going to do that. <laughs> and then what do you do? I yell at them. <laughs> <laughs> There's this one really memorable time a few years ago. We do an in-person retreat together once a year. And I, I was, I leaned over and I was wagging my finger at them and yelling. <laughs> they still make fun of me for that. <laughs> I'll just tell you exactly what I'm going to do and I'm not going to listen to you for one minute. <laughs> oh, we're so funny as humans. It's how great it is to be a part of a group like that where you can show up like that. So, right. And they can still love you and you it's, can move forward. Yeah. It's take, it took us years. It took us years and it's taken me probably the longest. Oh, well, maybe not. I think we've all had our things about being belonging because I have such a story. I've had such a story that I don't belong and nobody likes me. So it's mm -hmm. kind of the same thing as the vet, right? Your mm -hmm. vet friend oh, I'm really a fake. And tomorrow they're going to, the vet police are going to stride in this office and they're going to tell me, we finally found you. <laughs> you are a fake. And I feel like, oh, tomorrow is the day that everyone's going to say, you know what? We've been putting up with you and we can't put up with you any longer. Bye-bye. So it's taken me, it's been so healing to be seen and loved by these very people who, some of whom I probably would have never known or been friends with. I mean, we're, we're, we love each other, but we're different. Mm -hmm. We have some real core differences, but it's incredible. Yeah. I wish that for everybody in different ways. Um, and, you know, I guess in our ideal worlds, we'd get it in our families, but that doesn't always happen. No, it doesn't always happen for a lot of people. No. So, so as we wrap up today, we, you know, compassionate grit and daily rituals and how do you show up for yourself? Yeah, we didn't really talk about daily rituals very much. How do I show up for myself? Um, Gosh, I want to. I wish I could do a mind meld with everybody and how it feels to show up for myself. I because it's so deeply interior. It's a checking in process, and it happens throughout the day, with in a bigger way once a week, but definitely throughout the day. Definitely in the morning ritual, it includes meditation and some art journaling, even if it's just two minutes at my desk. And it's this feeling of welcoming all of me and that dropping the battle and dropping the judgment. It's a feeling of being in that field that Rumi talked about in his famous stanza, the field beyond right doing and wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. It's a sense of I'm okay, life is okay, no matter what. And when I'm not there, it's a hyper arousal, it's a jangliness, it's um, leaving myself, a judging myself, a judging somebody else. <laughs> mm -hmm. that's what husbands are for right um yeah and so that and the way I often get there is through some of the mindful questions in my books some journaling around those um making a little art mess um meditating yoga is huge for me the physical practice because I think of my ADHD stuff yeah. No, I, I think that uh, for me, that physical movement is really important. That's showing up for myself. And then the other part for me about showing up for myself is making sure I get sleep. Oh, yes. I'm, that is one of the things that I am a master at. I'm a master sleeper, so I don't have to worry about that. But I know for most people in the world, it's a huge core issue that doesn't get addressed and affects everything. Yeah. Cause I would normally, it would be, Oh, I just have to work harder. I'll just get rid of sleep. Oh, I just have to work harder. I'll just, you know, get rid of sleep. And for me, it's really been about, okay, I need to go to sleep. This is part of nourishing myself. This is about how I can show up for myself and be well rested for Sunday. Yeah. I, I cannot literally function if I miss one night of sleep or <laughs> cut into it. I mean, it, it's so weird. My daughter's the same way. We cannot, when she was little and she didn't sleep for nine months, I was psychotic and I am not exaggerating. I was psychotic. <laughs> and that, and nobody really knew much about postpartum depression back then. And I thought postpartum depression, I'm not depressed. I wasn't, I was speedy and having hallucinations and yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I love to sleep. <laughs> Well, Jen, thank you for coming back and talking with me today, especially when I'm this hot mess. <laughs> You're a great hot mess. 
But you know, for the listeners out there, I really, the reason I was willing to be so candid about it is this is real. This is real life, right? I can go through my life and even through the week and there's moments that I'm the hot mess and then there's moments that I can do what I need to do, whether it's do this interview or do my other work for the day and be able to move through it. And, and, and I'm just, part of it is just me learning how to, it's just another skill set. It's another practice, right? It's for like my swimmer language out there. It's, this is another set that I'm being challenged on. And I'm like in that pre-vulnerability stage of, oh my gosh, the coach just said we have to do this. I think I might die. Right. But I know that I'll move through it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And reminding ourselves of that and um, deepening our awareness of that in a daily way is such a big part of what I like to help people do and you like to help people do. And it's just essential. Yes. So thank you, my friend. Ah, Thank you. It was wonderful. Bye. As I wrap up the show today, I invite you to think about what are the compassionate whispers that you can say to yourself to help you move through when your life is a hot mess like mine is. Sometimes I say I'm capable. That wasn't something that really came up quite a bit this week. I know I'm capable. I love Jen's. I see you. You matter to me. Where we say that to ourselves, where we have our own back and our own heart, because that really leads to strength when we can ground ourselves in our own knowing. And it doesn't mean that we're weak by needing the support of others, but we need to reserve a section in the support section for ourselves. We're so good at sitting in those critic seats while we're trying to accomplish and be vulnerable, where we're the ones that are shutting ourselves down. That's what I've been doing this week. When we can reserve a spot for ourselves to be in the support section of our lives, of our arenas, and then have a team of people that can be there with you. And here's my next question for you. Who are the people who are on your team? Who are the people who have earned your right, you're in the right to hear your story? That's something that is so important to get credit, to get down and know who those are. When I work with clients, that's one of the lists that we come up with. Who are these people? And on my list, I put sometimes because while my people are there and they support me, they may also be going through stuff and they may not be available emotionally. They may physically be able to be there, but they may be in a bad place where they're more in the critic section than in the support section because of the things that you may be going through may be triggers for them. So who is, who, who are these teammates? And I really go back to the teammate bit because I'm a swimmer, I'm a coach and the team, who are the people? We know this, like within our families, who are the people that we can call to get support? Not a, oh, everything's going to be great. You're going to do fine. But who can really be there and provide support? Who can help you make distance with that story that you had? Just like my friend did today when she said, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, what's the best thing that can happen? What's the worst thing that can happen? And I kind of resisted because I want to stand my story of being scared and, you know, hating vulnerability. But when I finally stopped with my resistance and, okay, the room can walk out, well, I know that's not going to be realistic. So what am I really afraid of in getting down to that and how you know, finding the people who are on your team that can support you? That is so important. That along with the compassionate, you know, the compassionate grit and the daily rituals. And Jen really talks a lot about yoga and meditation. And those of you that have listened for years know that I did Bikram and I'm on a break right now from Bikram, but movement's really important. So like yesterday, I took my speech and I went for a walk and I had tears and I read it and then I was my own harsh critic and then I read it and I spoke and I was my own harsh critic and I just kept going round and round, but I got out and moved. And then from there, I was able to figure out you need to reach out. Who is somebody on your list that you can reach out to? And that was one of the things that I did yesterday and that helped me move through, right? And it gave, and I was able to get more solid about the speech that I'm writing. So as you go through these hard times and we're all going to have them and in, we can let it, as Jen talked about, we can let it be an a way for us to give up on ourselves 
I so wanted to do that yesterday. I so get this. Or we can use it as a way to fuel us to go, okay, why is this? Why am I having this anxiety? Why am I so uncomfortable with these feelings? And learning how to become comfortable with the uncomfortable, right? Using my anxiety to help fuel me of, okay, let's first clear out the thoughts, clear out the clutter that's in my brain, make some space from it. And realizing they are my thoughts, they do not define me, and nor do my actions define me. Get myself grounded so that I can step forward and speak my message and try to help somebody. And that's what I do every week. And that's what I do every day when I walk on the pool deck. I'm pretty shy as a person. I don't like to go to big parties. But I people are amazed when I when they find out that I'm shy if they've seen me on the pool deck because I walk in there. But I'm doing this every single day. And now what's happened is that it's just routine. It's become kind of mindless and it's routine. And I didn't realize this until a few years ago when I was driving my daughter, my older daughter to a different pool for swim practice. And I was just the swim mom. And, I was, and then the next day I was driving to the pool with my younger daughter, but I was going as the coach. And all of a sudden I went, wow, look at this contrast. I'm mentally getting prepared to walk into that arena to walk in, to deal with problems. You know, there could be potential negative things happening. I am walking in to the arena where I can be vulnerable. And vulnerable is uncertainty, emotional exposure, and risk. And it happens in so many areas of our lives. It can be that courageous conversation with your partner. It can be your child who's really struggling with school and they're not feeling good about themselves and they're feeling very vulnerable and they don't like it and they come out and they attack. It can be when we are trying to be brave in the work world or it can be when we send an email to the Girl Scout troop about not wanting to do Girl Scout cookies anymore, right? We're stepping into vulnerability, uncertainty, emotional exposure, and risk. People can judge us. How do you move through? What is your compassionate grit like? What are the daily rituals that can help you fill your well? Movement is really important. Yesterday, all of a sudden I went, I need a swimming pool. I need to go swim because I know water's so soothing. It wasn't something that ever transpired because I didn't really have a pool at that time. And I wasn't going to give myself the space to go and swim because I wanted to get my speech done. But realizing that and just saying, okay, if I can't get the pool, I'll go on a walk for 20 minutes and I'll have that kind of movement. I need to get outside or I need to go sit on the grass. What are the daily rituals? And then how do you show up for yourself? And that part is so important. You know, I used to think, oh, self-love, self-care, that means taking baths or, you know, buying expensive lotions. But how do I talk to myself? The way that you talk to yourself, would you talk to your child or a friend? Or would you talk to um, a colleague at work the way that you talk to yourself? We are such harsh critics to ourselves. And I invite you to take yourself out of that critic section, reserve a seat in the the, uh, support section. And by taking yourself out of that critic section, it's by putting space between those thoughts that are in the back of your head. I think Jen said, like, we're kind of schizophrenic. There's all these voices in our head, right? So taking that voice out by just distancing distancing yourself from it, realizing that I'm aware that I'm thinking this way. I am noticing that I am thinking this way. Make some space with it because we are not our thoughts. I've said that many, many times in this short monologue. It's just a great reminder because we all need it. I do too. So I thank you for listening today about my life as a hot mess. I um, hope that it helps you. I want the show to be real because we're all moving through it. And I know years ago before I started my show, I thought, oh, all these people who are out there telling people how to live this best life, they've got it mastered and they don't have any problems. I remember I said that to Martha Beck once and she's like, my dear, I've been to hell and back. And that's how I know how to move through this. It's not that I've just you know, been so successful. And that's, and the reason I've been successful is because I've had it all figured out. So that goes into my like closing monologue that you will sometimes hear in the show where I talk about people falling down and getting back up and falling down and getting back up. So know your compassionate whispers, the things that you can say to yourself, know who is on your team, 
What are your daily rituals? And it doesn't have to be perfect. Jen went into quite a bit about artwork and about that's her process. I have a very different process than that. What works for you? And remember, she had said earlier in the show that she's figured out things that have worked for her. So be a scientist, go test it out and circle back. What fits in your life right now? And then maybe in five years, your life will be different and you'll have different priorities going on and maybe the art can, can come out. So we all have different things. What is it that you need? What works best for you? And how can you show up for yourself this year and be on your own team? That's mission critical, being a member on your own team. All right, I am circling back. This is a couple months later from when I did the interview with uh, Jen back in early January and, and the show's gonna go up tomorrow, which is gonna be March 5th. So it's been a couple of months. I did my talk. I didn't as much as I wanted to quit and not do it. I did show up. I practiced um, that afternoon after I talked to her some more. I sucked at it. It was horrible. I had somebody watch me and it was really bad. And I was like, oh gosh. And um, I checked in to see what it was that I needed and I took care of myself. I went down to the conference and um, listened to some of the other talks and then I went back into my room and I practiced it some more, fine-tuned it, and then I let go. I knew what my message was. I knew what the things were that I needed to say and I gave myself permission to show up. I brought my permission slips with me to the podium and I gave my talk and I gave it the way that was true to me and I have to say it felt really good it was me standing up and sharing my what I using my voice and sharing my message and it really resonated with people maybe there were some people that didn't lots of people came and talked spoke to me afterwards the conference organizer said that he had gotten a lot of great feedback people thanked him for having me it was the best talk and while those are nice accolades I didn't go in there. I have, I have to limit my competitive self of, oh, I'm going to be the best or it's going to be great because that becomes outcome focused and I tend to cringe. It's not a way that I thrive. You may thrive that way. It's not the way that I thrive. So for me, it was about, did I share what it was that I wanted? Did I try to help give information to, to somebody where it could really resonate for them? And then how can they take it back with them? And that's really how I do these shows every day. And so it was kind of like this information did just like flow through me. And there were things that uh, I talked about in this, in my talk, I didn't really quite realize I was going to be going there, but it was, it was, it went really well for me. And I'm really glad that I did that. And afterwards, I felt really good. And it's one of the things that I always tell swimmers is that when you do a race and you really go all in and you give it everything you have, and at the end, the pain just kind of goes away. But if you don't go all in and you race that, and you come out and you get done, the pain lingers for a long time. Had I not shown up and allowed myself to be seen and be heard, I, that, I would have a heavy heart right now with you. And there would probably be other things that I would want to quit and eventually would. But because I did it, I felt free. It was true freedom. I felt really good. And I was really proud of myself and happy for the work that I was able to do in the space that I was able to do it. So I'm really grateful that I had that opportunity. And I'm grateful that it was able to resonate with people in the audience. So that was me showing up and being vulnerable. And I wanted to circle back before I shipped this interview um, or this conversation with Jen to you so that you could be a part of the the whole thing of the compassionate grit, right? Me kind of freaking out and then what actually happened in the end. And that's out of all the interviews I've done through these past eight years and over 400 interviews. I mean, that's the truth, right? There is that when we go in and step into being vulnerable, which is uncertainty, emotional exposure and risk. Remember this uncertainty, emotional exposure and risk. It's also in the show notes. We are vulnerable. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. It may bomb, but how can we show up and, and do our best and let go of that transactional mindset that we have? There's no guarantees. And that's what's really scary. And it's so easy to live small. Instead, how can we stand grounded in ourselves and use our voice? And that's what I'd like you to think about this week. Thanks so much for listening and sticking around for this long show. Thank you for the iTunes reviews. We're running out of time, so I'm not going to do any shout outs today, but I will next time. And um, sign up for my weekly newsletter so we can keep this connection going in another format. Take care.
Drifting, never been so wide awake.